Hello, and welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm speaking with Bobby Brown, Global Vice President of Customer Experience at MessageBird, a communications platform building a world where talking with a business is as easy and natural as talking to a friend. They're also number 57 on the Cloud 100. Welcome to the show, Bobby. Thanks, Jeremy, for having me. Well, we've entered what I like to refer to as the chit-chat-free zone, so we're going to dive right in. As you reflect on your career, what's a, a critical initiative that stands out in your mind as having had a major impact on revenue performance? There's a few that come to mind. However, the one that sticks out the most was an opportunity earlier in my career when I was at a company called ServePath. And at ServePath, we were a, a hosting company that started building a cloud computing technology. At the time, we called it grid computing. So cloud computing wasn't even a term yet. And we started building this and opened it up to the public in 2008, 2009. And at this time, there was only Amazon Web Services, and they were still very, very early days. And so this was plowing the road of, of new technology and, and cloud computing. And during that time, we took the business from zero to just under $50 million in recurring revenue in about two years. And it was a wild ride. I was running operations and post-sales. So very challenging times building a brand new tech stack on you know hardware and servers around the globe. And one of the things that we did was we built out what I would call customer success today, and we called them service teams. We had an account manager assigned with a technical account manager, along with a billing representative that we would assign to these teams. And it was basically a pod where we had you know, 25 to 50 accounts assigned to these teams. And their job was for around net retention rate and scaling these customers to use our, you know, to use our platform. It was a lot of fun, a lot of work. At first, early days, customers were you know, scared of the cloud. So they wanted to keep their server, keep all their data in the servers. And so we had to you know, tr train them and trust, get their trust to move into the cloud. And so we started early days with test and dev environments, and then slowly we're able to win their trust and, and advocate for you know, improvements to, to help build cloud technology to what it is today. And so lots of learnings, lots of pain, <laughs> and uh, a lot of great times and, and relationships I've built uh, that have lasted for a decade or more now. Well, I've, I've already got a, a few questions. So you mentioned ARR, but I'm thinking that the modern cloud providers are less about ARR and much more about consumption or usage-based models. Were, were you more usage-based or were you more of an ARR upfront contract? It actually started out in consumption-based. Customers had a lot of challenges with that because they didn't understand their bills and they didn't know what they were going to be spending. So what we started, and then also the lumpiness of, you know, a customer would spin up thousand servers and use it for, you know, two weeks and then they then they turn them off, right? And so that was really hard for us to understand our, our model and go, you know, understand our revenue stream. So we had a mix of it. What, what we did do was starting to lock in some revenue, so getting commitments from customers. So then we were able to have ARR and a little bit more predictable revenue. So as the CSMs and the account managers, we would reach out to the you know customer and say hey here's your usage if you you know you're using this much you're paying this much but if you'll commit to this you know consumption in a year usage which you know we'll give you a you know 15% discount or 20% discount so we were actually trying to get a more predictable revenue model 
and our customers were asking for it. Now there were our customers that would just spin up, you know, sign up and spin up servers and spin them down like they do today. But we did have a lot of locked in revenue that was helpful to our business. Also just helps us understand from a capacity planning model on how many servers we were going to need and which, which locations and things like that. Yeah. And that model you described of some degree of upfront discounted contract in addition to overage billing, right? It, it is also another convention. I know a lot of the public SaaS companies that have this type of model will report rather than report on ARR, they report on RPO, remaining performance obligations, which is contracted services prepaid, uh, or at least pre-contracted with their customers. To serve those, you mentioned three different roles, account managers, technical account managers, TAMs, although you probably called it something different back in the day, because I don't know that that term existed yet, and billing representatives. Let's go into each one of those roles. Let's start with the account managers. I presume those were both kind of pre-sale and post-sale, right? They were doing new logo acquisition as well as expansion. Is that is that a fair statement? We had a hunter-farmer model. Once we had enough business, we had the hunter-farmer model that would allow for the head of sales would go and hunt the new business and then hand it over to the, the account teams afterwards. Sometimes there's a tension with that, right? With the, if you, if you do the hunter-farmer model, then it can extend the sales cycle to be longer because the reps want to get as big a deal up front as they possibly can before they hand it off. Was that an issue there? Yeah, that that definitely has some tension at times. We we went through the ups and downs of even, you know, double paying commissions to reps to having the reps hold on to an account for a certain six months and, you know, so they could continue. I think we ended up leaving it towards the end where the hunter would would get some residual revenues for the first year. So we tried multiple different models and what would work and what and what didn't. If I had to again, I probably would say, you know, the first quarter that the hunter gets to keep the account and after a first one full quarter and after that maybe a residual of they get some residual commissions based on those how those accounts perform. At that point in time, it was there's so much opportunity that we really wanted the hunters to focus on hunting because there were just so many accounts out there. And one of the great secret sauces of our business at that time was, which we didn't realize at first, is we had so many companies that would not do business with Amazon because they considered Amazon a competitor in their business. So it was an interesting time where we had companies coming to us and saying, you're the only other cloud player out there. <laughs> we want to get in on this cloud game, but we, we have a mandate to not go to Amazon. So there was a lot of opportunity. There wasn't as much friction as, you know, maybe today where you've got, you know, five or six large cloud providers fighting for the same business. How did that differ from the the billing rep? Because there's also this decision that a lot of early stage companies are trying to make as to whether or not AEs or AMs should be responsible for pursuing accounts receivable. They were actually there mostly to help the customers understand their bills. And because there was so many different a customer may have, you know, a SaaS kind of traditional subscription base, but they also had license base. So at this time, think of like Red Hat and Microsoft for SQL Server or licenses, those types of licenses. They didn't have a cloud-based model yet in the early days. So they were having to like commit to a year for the license 
or and then eventually we were able to you know get that for partial you know quarterly and and you know but at the time it was really messy and also at that time we were using an older billing system so and trying to make it that was subscription based right and so we were so it was a lot of it was to help explain customers bills and do manual billing but that so the customer had somebody they could go to that could understand and potentially fix their invoices it was really the billing associates were really there to help make sure the customer understood their invoices and understood how they could be billed going forward, basically. So the billing team was just so inundated and to not have somebody that understood how that customer's unique setup was. The other thing that we did at this time, I probably should have prefaced this, was that Amazon didn't do is because we were a hosting company too, we allowed customers to have their own dedicated hardware and infrastructure, either in a co-location or, or on our dedicated servers. And we connected it with a private connection to the cloud. So we allowed customers to have, you know, their big Oracle databases or their, you know, their Hadoop clusters in a colo cage and then and then connect to a cloud for bursting. So if they had like a large, you know, Friendster was a customer of ours, if they had to like scale really fast, then they could scale in the cloud, but then it, maybe it was seasonal or something. So so there was just a lot of complexities that we did that other companies were not doing. So that's where the technical account manager came into play. I know you're probably going to ask me about that in a second, but for the billing side of it was, you know, sometimes these customers would have five or six different products or eight different products and and complexities around consumption on bandwidth and consumption on storage and consumption on compute, but also having committed to revenue. So they needed to not be charged for that. So there's just a lot of complexities with the, with the billing of the early days in the cloud. Yeah, well, you just brought back some nightmares for me because I was in a much more technical role back in 2008. And I definitely remember per server license costs for things like SQL Server and other other pieces of software. And they were also evolving because that was when you had originally multi CPU and then and then they came up with multi core pricing and ultimately things got a lot easier with the way that some of these cloud service providers have have evolved but yes you presaged what I was going to ask you next which is the role of the the technical account manager which to me is often a CSM but in a much more technical environment is is that an appropriate description yes i would say that and that's the model a lot of companies use. However, at GoGrid at this time, we were, our CSMs or our account managers at the time were looking to grow. We're spending more time trying to grow the opportunities where the TAM was more there as a technical advisor. So the TAM was working closer with the ops team, the engineers teams, the, you know, APIs, where the, you know, storage compute, like helping, you know, working with DBAs, those types of resources where the account manager or the CSM was working more with the business unit, you know, head and the buyer. So that was kind of where we had the clear line where the account manager slash CSM was walking the halls, trying to find new opportunities within a same organization or new use cases. Like, hey, I know you're using us for QA, but who can I talk to to understand, you know, why you know, if you'd be open to trying this in production, right? And so think of some of these large corporations, you know, they would walk the halls and try to get different business units and things like that, where the TAM would be there to help on from a technical advisor standpoint, but they wouldn't be trying to strum up new business and grow, you know, the existing revenue. This actually gets at something that I hear a lot in both sales and CS, which is to what extent 
those professionals need a high degree of technical proficiency. So you were much more in the operational nitty gritty back at ServePath, which ultimately became GoGrid. And, you know, as you've evolved your career, you've gravitated more towards more traditional customer success and chief customer officer types of roles that also include tech support and technical account management. If you were giving guidance to organizations on the type of technical proficiency they should expect out of their more traditional CSMs, how would you guide them? Yeah, I'm a big fan of having CSMs have a clear delineation from a sales rep. (laughs) So, you know, not saying a CSM couldn't become a sales rep, but I look for them to have technical aptitude, technical curiosity, and project management skills. So to me, as a customer success manager, you're constantly managing projects and you're, you're constantly looking for opportunities, but you're not a sales rep, right? So you're there to advise the customer and build that trust. Technical aptitude, being able to figure it out, curiosity, but they're not, they don't have to be an engineer. They don't have to know how to code. They don't know how to script, you know, at that level. But if they have those skills, it's even more of a, you know, it's a bonus. But, you know, that's where I think on the, especially when you're talking large enterprise, if you're talking SMB, you know, a a CSM might have to be a TAM as well, because the customer is not going to sign up for a TAM service. However, at the enterprise, I would say the CSM having project management, program management, and skills is is really key with the technical curiosity. You know, somebody who wants to try to figure it out themselves or will try to integrate, you know, a third-party technology so they can do that and they like doing that, but they don't have to be at the level of a technical account manager that would probably be maybe coming from like a tier two or tier three support, but really good with customers. Well, I'd love to, if you're game, I'd love to continue the conversation and talk a little bit about some of those attributes that you look for in, you know, and develop in technical aptitude, curiosity, and project and program management. Would you be game to stick around to do a an episode two with me? Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being on this episode today. I appreciate it, Bobby. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time.